It's always interesting to try and um, determine what to preach on for a unique day that is sort of out of them and doesn't fit. Because now we're done with Advent season. We had Christmas Eve and Christmas on back-to-back days. And now we're getting into a new year, but it's literally the first day of the new year. And so I was thinking all those thoughts within the last several weeks. And uh, we actually got an email from the company that we use to run our church management software. The company's name is Breeze. And it just said, um, ideas for sermons in the new year. And I thought, what are they? They're a data management company. What do they know about sermons? But I thought I opened it up. And one of the ideas, I was like, that's actually really good. And they had a really basic um, uh, outline of thoughts, and I thought, I, I can definitely use this. So shout out to Breeze, our data management company, for helping out with a Sunday morning sermon topic. So we're going to be talking about uh, the, the title of the sermon is Ask for Anything. We're going to be looking at a passage in First Kings chapter 3 in just a moment. It is New Year's Day. However, and maybe you know this, Um, this is not globally recognized as the start of a new year. There are different places and cultures in our world that do not celebrate today as New Year's Day. For instance, in parts of Western Australia, their New Year's Day is October 30th. In parts of Sri Lanka and Cambodia, it falls between April 13th and 15th. In China, the New Year is celebrated between January 1st and February 20th, which is a really wide window, but I also read that typically their celebrations of the new year last for two weeks. How crazy is that? Two weeks. Parts of India celebrate it between mid-October and mid-November. If you want to celebrate it in Mongolia, it's still yet to come, February 16th. So if you want to book a plane and do another New Year's celebration, head to Mongolia. Um, In some regions in Indonesia, they celebrate it on March 7th and... It's a day of utter silence for fasting and reflection. Very different from pretty much all the other stuff that I looked into where it's similar to what we have, lots of celebrations and get-togethers and music and and, and a lot happening. Nearly all those New Year's celebrations are very festive. They include lots of different traditions, different activities. Many of them include special foods that get utilized on the celebration of New Year's. Which, for those of you who do sausage and sauerkraut, so gross, by the way. Sauerkraut, it's one of those foods that I didn't taste for a long time because the smell of it, the smell of it made me say, I don't like this food. And so one day I finally tried it, and I was right. <laughs> I do not like that food. The taste matched up perfectly with the scent for me. But a new year is a blank slate. It is a fresh start. It is a new beginning when we look at our upcoming days and weeks and months and we say, what is possible? So today, what kind of possibilities do you see in your new year? What are you hoping for? If you could ask for anything to come to fruition, what would it be? If you could write your script for 2023, what would your script look like? And with that in mind, let's look at a story where there was a particular person who was actually invited to ask for anything. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 3, from the beginning of the reign of King Solomon. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. 
At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want from me, and I will give it to you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked For the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized that it had been a dream. In November of 1992, I would have been 13 years old and in eighth grade. I did the math, just to double check. By the time you get to be 13 years old, and you're at the back end of junior high school, you think you're pretty cool. You definitely are not a kid anymore. Now, you're technically no closer than 8 to 18 than you are to 8. But that doesn't matter, because in your mind, you've left childish things behind at the ripe age of 13. So in November of 92, at 13 years of age, in 8th grade, one of my best friends asked if I wanted to go to a movie with him and his family. I found out that the movie they were all going to see was the movie Aladdin. I was less than excited. I'm 13. I don't need to watch animated movies anymore. But I went reluctantly, mostly just thinking at least I'll get to hang out with my buddy, for the night. I live in Winona. There's not much going on. Take me to the theater, right? So I went. I had no idea how amazing the movie would be. Awesome songs, cutting-edge animation for the time, and of course, Robin Williams voicing the genie was just absolutely delightful. And why do I bring that up? Because near the beginning of that movie, There's a scene where Aladdin rubs the lamp and he meets the genie, and he is able to do what? Ask for anything. Ask for anything. Well, not quite anything. He has three wishes, but if you remember the movie, there are three things that he's not allowed to wish for, right? He says, "I I can't kill people, I can't make people fall in love, and I can't bring people back from the dead. And then he also says, and ixnay! on the wishing for more wishes. Other than that, anything you want, anything you want. 
And there are parallels there to what we see in Solomon. Solomon goes to a very important place and he makes an impressive offering and God responds by meeting Solomon in a dream and he says this, ask whatever you want me to give you. So as we stand at the beginning of a new year with 2023 all out in front of us, we have a fresh start. I have a feeling Solomon was, this is a very fresh start moment. So what do we see What do we learn from Solomon in this story that we can take into our 2023? I would say at least two things of importance that we could bring with us. The first thing is this. Solomon displays humility in several different ways. The first way is when he says, My father was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. In other words, Solomon acknowledges right off the bat that he is writing the beginning of his own story but he's entering entering into a much bigger story that's already established. In other words, Solomon is acknowledging it does not start with me. I am not the beginning of this thing. There have been those that have come before me that have set the stage and prepared the way for me to be here. That's a humble thing to do. Now, none none of us is foolish enough to entirely dismiss the idea that our stories are actually chapters in the middle of a much, much larger narrative. But when we have a lack of humility in our lives, we can definitely forget or at least push to the side that truth, that things don't start with us. And Solomon is blessed not just to realize that things don't start with him, but also the one who wrote the chapter right before his, his father David, lived mostly with faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. So right at the beginning, he voices his gratitude for the fact that he is not the beginning and that there is someone who came before him that he can celebrate that person's life. And so at the beginning of 2023, maybe one thing we need to do is gratefully remember the faithful lives that came before our own. That will humble us to remember we are not the beginning. We are entering in to a story that has been told by God and faithful people long before us. And guess what? We'll be told by God and faithful people long after we're gone. So Solomon acknowledges it doesn't start with him. He also acknowledges God's kindness when he says, you've shown great kindness to my father David. He humbly recognizes that God's presence and God's favor were all over David's life. And even this great kindness, Solomon says, is what has led to him taking the place on the throne after his father is gone. Our individual lives, as well as the events of great importance and influence around us, they are only allowed to carry on because God's kindness gives the time and space for them to unfold. We already sung about this in some of our songs this morning, that that Everything comes from God and ultimately is directed back to God. It is God's kindness that allows any of us to even look at 2023 and ask what kind of decisions we want to make, what kinds of things we want to see unfold in those days and weeks and months ahead of us. His humility goes on further when he says, I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry on my duties. When comparing himself to the great king, his father David, Solomon understands his own unpreparedness 
and his own sense of inadequacy. Sitting on the throne and saying, listen, I'm just a kid. I don't know how to do this job. Now, we do not know for sure how old Solomon was when he became king. Our best guess, based on biblical and historical evidence, is somewhere around age 20. Maybe a little before, maybe a little after. So when you hear him saying, I'm only a little child, don't picture like seven and a half year old Solomon on David's big throne saying, I don't know what to do. No, no, no. He's probably late teens, if not early 20s, which in the ancient world, like you're approaching midlife by that point because you generally didn't live as long. And so you see Solomon saying, I don't have the experience, the knowledge that I need to bring into this role. We find very similar but slightly different statements throughout the Old Testament, these who am I statements. We talked about one not too long ago with Moses at the burning bush. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? We see it later in the story of David. I am like the youngest in the least of tribes of all and the clans and everything. And so we see it here in Solomon's life. He looks at himself, he looks at the throne, he looks at the people, and he goes, I am not ready for this. Because he has a perspective of humility. And then there's one other way. He says, you know, God, your chosen people, they are far too numerous to count or to number. This seems like it might be the most intimidating thing for Solomon as he sits on the throne and thinks about leading Israel. God, there are like a lot of people that I am now in charge of. And they're not just any old people, they're your chosen people, your special people, and now I have to lead all of them. I read an article this week about leadership, and it said that probably the most challenging thing about leading isn't actually deadlines, or innovation, or even organization. Usually, the hardest part about leading people is people. (laughs) People can be really, really challenging. I mean, as Moses wandered around in the wilderness, it wasn't necessarily vision and and organization. It was people. And so now Solomon looks at all this mass humanity, God's chosen people, and they are too numerous to count. And he feels like this is too big for me. Is that you? Do you have something on the horizon in 2023 where you're already going, This is going to be too much. I am not ready for something this big. And how can you take that attitude of humility into the task ahead of you? 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about humility. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In Peter's ancient world, the idea of mutual humility among all people was extremely countercultural. Depending on a lot of factors, including your age, your gender, your wealth, your social status, it was perfectly acceptable. In fact, it was even expected that some people would behave with humility and humbleness and other people did not have to. They were more important. They were better. 
however you want to label it. So the idea that we have Peter right into these churches going, all of you clothe yourselves with humility is very, very countercultural in that world and really still today. The idea of clothing yourself with humility is an interesting one. The Greek word that gets used here for that, clothing yourself, is enkomboamahi. It means to literally fasten or to tie in a knot some sort of outer garment. Now that outer garment would then be seen because it is over top of all of the other garments. So whatever else you have going on in your life, take humility, put it on over top of that. Let that be seen by all and tie it tightly to yourself. There's actually almost an identical Greek noun that refers to a long white apron with strings. It was a garment exclusively used by servants and slaves. So this is sort of the, the language is saying, you should all clothe yourselves like servants. Your lives should be characterized so much by humility that people believe that you are servants of all. The famous missionary E. Stanley Jones says this about humility. If I were to pick two phrases necessary for spiritual growth, I would pick out these. I don't know, and I am sorry. Both phrases are evidences of deep humility. I'd heard of E. Stanley Jones before I found this quote, but I didn't know much about him, so I looked into him. What an incredible, incredible man part of the the Methodist church. He went as a missionary to India in the very early 1900s. Did incredible work there as a missionary. Ended up becoming very close friends with Gandhi. And then Martin Luther King Jr. has said that the writings of E. Stanley Jones were critical in his understanding of how to, with nonviolence, do what he did in, in his world. Just an incredibly influential person. And so when someone like that says, okay, What's really important for spiritual growth? And he says, I'll give you two phrases that are important for spiritual growth. Here they are. I don't know, and I'm sorry. If I were to ask you coming in today, what are the two most important phrases you think there are for spiritual growth? Would any of you had said, well, I'm sorry is probably one of them. Or I don't know. I doubt it. I think we would tell ourselves we should know something if we're developing spiritually. But we need this attitude of humility if we hope to continue to grow in Christ. And not only does God oppose the proud and favor the humble, from what we read, this attitude of humility is what shields us under the mighty hand of God until a time when He would choose to lift us up. In the context of 1 Peter, the church at that time is experiencing terrible persecution at the hands of the Romans. They needed the protective shelter of God's hand over top of them. They needed to cling to the promise that he would eventually allow his people to openly fulfill their calling as witnesses and ambassadors for the kingdom. But at the present moment, they needed to humble themselves and find that shelter under God's mighty hand, a mighty hand that would eventually lift them up. But currently, They needed the shelter underneath of it. And I can see Solomon having the same kind of attitude. He wants to find shelter under God's hand. I am not ready for this. I don't know what to do. I need your shelter. And then eventually God 
could lift Solomon up as his leadership grows. And I really don't think it's an accident that humility and a release from anxiety are mentioned in the very same breath. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. Cast all your anxiety upon Him. Because when we humbly place ourselves under God's mighty hand, we are in a place of safety and security. And how often, friends, how often does our anxiety and our worry stem from the belief that we can or should hold everything together by ourselves? That's not an attitude of humility. That's an attitude of arrogance and pride. But when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, we have an opportunity to breathe easy, to exhale knowing we don't have to hold everything together. That's not our job. That's the job of God himself. So we see Solomon displays humility. We also see Solomon desires wisdom. He says, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. In his ask for anything moment, Solomon decides to request the necessary wisdom to lead God's people well. He wanted to pursue righteousness. He wanted to forsake evil. In the moment when God says, ask for anything, the average king in Solomon's day would have probably asked for evidences of power. The average king would have said, you know what I need? I need a mighty and victorious army. That's what I need. Or you know what? I need fortified cities. Matter of fact, I need to expand into new lands and conquer new territories. Or I need piles of gold or even a vast harem of wives. These are all ways that kings would have been seen as, oh, wow. That is a powerful ruler that deserves our respect and even our fear. But when God says ask anything, Solomon doesn't ask for any of those things. He asks for wisdom. A sense of discerning judgment. It shouldn't surprise us then that later Solomon writes a lot about wisdom in the Proverbs. One example, don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. I read that passage this week, don't turn your back on wisdom. She'll protect you and guard you. And I thought, is this suggesting that wisdom is like a bodyguard? Because wisdom sounds like kind of a wimpy bodyguard to me. Like, what do you have for protection? Oh, I've got wisdom. Oh. Okay, great. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't seem like the first thing anybody would say as, what do you have guarding your life? What do you have watching your back? What do you have protecting you? I don't think our first response says, well, I've got wisdom. I don't think we see wisdom in that kind of light. But think about it. If you live wisely, think about all of the things that are detrimental, that are harmful, that you won't go anywhere near Because wisdom leads you in a different direction. Don't turn your back on wisdom. She will protect you and guard you. 
We also find in Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In some other translations, like the King James Version, the phrase, make the most of every opportunity, is actually rendered more literally, according to the original language, as redeeming the time. What an interesting phrase. Redeem your time. Redeem your time. The original language for redeeming is ex agorazo. It's actually an economic term, meaning to buy something up. And the way it's structured here, there's an intensity to it. That's why we see here, make the most of every opportunity. There's intensity about redeeming your time. It's a word that could be used to talk about a ransom. When you ransom something or someone from under the power or the control of someone else to rescue something from loss by buying it out. One resource I read said this, the word generally means to buy up and to buy all that is anywhere to be bought. Remind me of like the, the Christmas season when there's like the one toy that everybody wants and they just go everywhere to try and buy all of them. Buy it up, buy everything anywhere that can be bought so as not to allow a suitable moment to pass unheeded, but to make it your own. What an appropriate thing to talk about on New Year's Day. Redeeming your time. Making the most of every opportunity. We don't really talk about buying up our time so much, but you know what we do say? How are you spending your time? We don't talk about buying it up, but we do talk about how are you spending your time? And at the beginning of a new year, it's appropriate to ask ourselves, are we redeeming our time? Are we living wisely to remember that if we don't spend our time and our opportunities well, they will easily be influenced by the days of evil that are around us? Redeem your time. Buy up those opportunities, however God is leading you. So Solomon not only displays humility, and he desires wisdom at the same time. And then God responds. And how does God respond to this humble request for the wisdom to lead his people? Well, first of all, God, we're told, is pleased. And isn't that really the overall goal, regardless of anything else that happens in this story? To know that the attitude of Solomon's heart The request that he had of God left God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. God was well pleased with Solomon's request. And then secondly, God is surprised. Now, God's not surprised. God sees everything coming. But here's what I mean by that. Solomon, he says to Solomon, you didn't ask for a long life. You didn't ask for wealth for yourself. You didn't ask for the death of your enemies. These are all the things that God might have expected Solomon to ask for. These were the normal things that would have been requested when somebody said, ask for anything. If you in 2023 and beyond are seeking a life that's characterized by wisdom, some people might look at it and think you're a little weird. Some of you are just weird, period. There's nothing that can be done for that. 
Listen, when you prioritize wisdom above other things that are the normal things, your life will look different. Be prepared for people to say, why are you so weird? And the answer can be, because I want to be led by wisdom in my life. So not only is God pleased and surprised, but the last thing is he's generous. He says to Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom, in discernment, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Which is why reading things like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is so valuable. Wisdom from the person that God said, there's never been anyone like you and there's never going to be again. And then he said, I will give you not only those things, but I will give you what you haven't asked for. You didn't ask for wealth or honor, but I'm going to give you those on top of the thing that you actually asked for. Which reminded me of Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In Solomon's life, maybe it would be, don't ask, how much gold do I have? How large can my army be? What territories can I conquer? Because other kings will run after those kinds of things. And God knows your needs. But it's so interesting to me that we see Solomon in this passage because what did Solomon have prioritized in his mind? The kingdom of God. There are so many people and I want to do this right. And discernment between right and wrong. Righteousness. We see Solomon right here seeking the kingdom and righteousness above all else. And then what does God do? I'm going to give you all those other things as well. The things that you didn't ask for. Because you prioritized the right things. Now listen, I will never be mistaken for a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not going to tell you that, listen, if you prioritize humility and wisdom, you are going to be blessed and your bank account's going to go to the sky and you're going to, I'm not going to do that. But I do want to say, according to what we are reading in Scripture, if we prioritize the proper things in our own lives, God will take care of everything else. He will take care of everything else if our minds and our hearts are in the right place to begin with. So with that in mind, a few things to think and pray through as we finish our time together. And these are in your bulletin as well if you want to take them home and consider them more deeply during the week. First of all, are there any particular areas of life in which you need to be more intentional about acting with humility in this new year? Do you need to be humbly sheltered under God's mighty hand? Secondly, is wisdom your protective companion guarding your thoughts, your words, and your actions? How can you develop discerning judgment in the new year? And lastly, invite the Holy Spirit to align your desires with the kingdom and righteousness of the Father first, trusting that He will also care for everything else. I'm going to flip through those One more time, hopefully something grabs at your heart 
Take this moment of silence to reflect and to pray. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And then we'll finish that time of reflection in just a moment with a word of prayer.